Our reading this morning can be found on page 371 of the Church Bibles. It is taken from the second book of Kings, 2 Kings, chapter 5. That's page 371. Now Naaman was a commander of the army of the king of Aram. He was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded, because through him the Lord had given victory to Aram. He was a valiant soldier, but he had leprosy. Now bands of raiders from Aram had gone out and had taken captive a young girl from Israel, and she served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, If only my master would see the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. Naaman went to his master and told him what the girl from Israel had said. By all means go, the king of Aram replied. I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So Naaman left, taking with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten sets of clothing. The letter that he took to the king of Israel read, With this letter... I am sending my servant Naaman to you, so that you may cure him of his leprosy. As soon as the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his robes and said, Am I God? Can I kill and bring back to life? Why does this fellow send someone to me to be cured of leprosy? See how he is trying to pick a quarrel with me. When Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his robes, he sent him this message. Why have you torn your robes? Have the man come to me, and he will know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and stopped at the door of Elisha's house. Elisha sent a messenger to say to him, Go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan, and your flesh will be restored, and you will be cleansed. But Naaman went away angry and said, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God, wave his hand upon the spot, and cure me of my leprosy. Are not Abana and Papa, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? So he turned and went off in a rage. Naaman's servants went to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? How much more then when he tells you, Wash and be cleansed? So he went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times, as the man of God had told him. And his flesh was restored and became clean like that of a young young boy. Then Naaman and all his attendants went back to the man of God. He stood before him and said, Now I know that there is no God in all the world except in Israel, so please accept a gift from your servant. The prophet answered, As surely as the Lord lives, whom I serve, I will not accept a thing. And even though Naaman urged him, he refused. 
If you will not, said Naaman, please let me, your servant, be given as much earth as a pair of mules can carry. For your servant will never again make burnt offerings and sacrifices to any other god but the Lord. But may the Lord forgive your servant for this one thing. When my master enters the temple of Rimon to bow down, and he is leaning on my arm, and I have to bow there also, when I bow down in the temple of Rimon, may the Lord forgive your servant for this. Go in peace, Elisha said. After Naaman had travelled some distance, Gezi, the servant of Elisha, the man of God, said to himself, My master was too easy on Naaman, this Aramean, by not accepting from him what he brought. As surely as the Lord lives, I will run after him and get something from him. So Gehazi hurried after Naaman. When Naaman saw him running towards him, he got down from the chariot to meet him. Is everything all right? he asked. Everything is all right, Gehazi answered. My master sent me to say, two young men from the company of the prophets have just come to me from the hill country of Ephraim. Please give them a talent of silver and two sets of clothing. By all means, take two talents, said Naaman. He urged Gehazi to accept them and then tied up the two talents of silver in two bags with two sets of clothing. He gave them to the two of his servants and they carried them ahead of Gehazi. When Gehazi came to the hill, he took the things from the servants and put them away in the house. He sent the men away and they left. When he went in and stood before his master, Elisha asked him, Where have you been, Gehazi? Your servant didn't go anywhere, Gehazi answered. But Elisha said to him, Was not my spirit with you when the man got down from his chariot to meet you? Is this the time to take money or to accept clothes or olive groves and vineyards or flocks and herds or male and female slaves? Naaman's leprosy will cling to you and to your descendants forever. Then Gehazi went from Elisha's presence and his skin was leprous. It had become as white as snow. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be, be to God. God. Well, thank you very much for the invitation to speak today. Um, I've been friends with Steve, as you've heard, for a long time, and he's been a, a great um, older brother to me in the Christian ministry. And uh, we've also benefited from having Michael, your youth and children's worker, to teach on our weekends away twice. So thank you very much for your generosity, and it's great to be back and to look at this, I think, currently my favourite chapter of the Bible. Um, just before we get into it, because I'm now teaching on a Bible course I thought I'd put on my school teacher mode and begin by teaching you a little bit of Hebrew. Hebrew is the language that the Old Testament was originally written in. And I want to teach you the word for a, um, uh, a little girl and a little boy. Okay, so 
I ought to ask Andrew this because he's studying Hebrew right now, but he looks a bit terrified. So um, I can remember very little Hebrew, but I can remember this. To say um, a young a, a lad, you say a na'ar. Can you say it together? Na'ar. Um, and to say a little lad, little boy, you put the word carton on the end, like a carton. I always think of a little carton of milk. So a na'ar carton, the little boy. Can you say it together? Nara Karto. Very good. You're already better at Hebrew than I was. Now, to make something feminine in Hebrew, you just put ah on the end of it. So a, a, a lady would be a Nara. Can you say it? Nara. And a little lady or a little girl would be a Nara Kartona. Can you say it with me? Nara. Okay, that's going to be useful, I promise, as we come to this chapter. Let's start the sermon properly. And let me ask you whether you think that the Christian message is inclusive or exclusive. Is it inclusive? Is it for everyone? Or is it exclusive? Is it only for a certain kind of person? Is it narrow? I don't know what you think, but I can tell you what most people in London think about our kind of churches, the churches that take the Bible seriously. They think that we are very exclusive, we're very narrow. Um, They they say, you know, your churches, um, they're very homophobic, aren't they? They're not for gay people because you're anti-gay marriage. Um, Your churches are very sexist, aren't they? They're not really for women because you only have men preaching. I don't know if you do that, we only have men preaching. Um, or your churches are very elitist, they're not for victims, they're all for successful people. Or in another part of London they might say, your church is very racist, it's only for people of your particular background. You're very exclusive, you're very narrow. And I don't know how you feel about that. Um, I want to say, no, I don't want to be narrow. But in some ways the Bible forces us to be narrow. Jesus said, I am the way the truth and the life, no one comes to the Father except through me. He's narrow. You can't come to God by being a Muslim. You can't come to God by being a Hindu. You have to come to God through Jesus. That's exclusive. Or the Apostles said, salvation is found in no one else. There's no other name under heaven by which we can be saved. You can't be saved through the teaching of Muhammad. You can't be saved through the philosophy of atheism. You can only be saved through Jesus. It sounds very narrow. But if we ask the question, what kind of person can be saved through Jesus? The answer is anybody. What kind of person would Jesus save? Anybody. Um, Gay people, um, Muslim people, um, rich people, Poor people, black people, white people, men and women, English people, um, people from all over the world, anybody. See, the Christian message is exclusive. There's only one way to be saved, but it's very inclusive. Anybody can be saved if they all come to that one saviour. And I can't think of of any chapter in the Bible that explains those two things more clearly than 2 Kings chapter 5. And that's why it's currently my favourite chapter of the Bible. Now I want to introduce you to three characters in the, in the story and we're going to think about each of them in turn. The first one 
is the, the little girl, or should I say the, do you remember? Na'ara Kartona. Here she is, she's at the beginning of the story, and I think she is the hero of the story. Now Naaman was commander of the army of the king of Aram. He was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded because through him the Lord had given victory to Aram. He was a valiant soldier, but he had leprosy. Now bands of raiders from Aram had gone out and had taken captive a young girl, a Na'arah Katonah, from Israel. And she served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, If only my master would see the prophet who's in Samaria he would cure him of his leprosy. Wow. I mean, she is a very, very impressive young lady, isn't she? Just just think about it for a moment. What is her situation in life? Um, She is a slave and she has been trafficked. Uh, The Assyrians have raided Israel, crossed the border, and have kidnapped her and taken her off to work as a slave for the wife of a Syrian military commander called Naaman. I wonder how you expect her to feel towards Naaman and his household. I would imagine bitter, angry. I imagine the fact that Naaman has got leprosy is for her the one consolation. Well, thank goodness that God's given him horrible skin because he deserves it for what he's done to us. But no... Now, this little girl has compassion even on her enemy. If only my master would see the prophet in Samaria, in Israel, he would cure him of his leprosy. She's got compassion. She's got a lot of courage because to tell your Syrian commander, I'm sorry, but the only hope for you to get saved is to go to the prophet in Israel, the the true saviour, Elisha. He's the only hope. You, you've got no chance if you just go to your Syrian temple to go and ask Rimmon, because Rimmon's a fake god. And if you go and ask your Syrian priests, because they're fake priests, your only hope is to go to the true god in Israel. I mean, that is risky, isn't it? To stand up like that. She's courageous. She's compassionate. And she gets right the answer to our two questions. How many ways are there to be saved? Only one. Only through the true God and his true prophet, Elisha. But how many people can be saved through Elisha? Anybody. Even Syrians. Even human traffickers. Anybody can be saved. What a great girl she is. What a great evangelist in the most horrible situation. The little girl. Secondly, let's look at the rich Syrian who becomes like the little girl. Now this is Naaman, he's um, a military commander and he's got leprosy. Well he's got means, you might say, he can afford the best Harley Street doctors and when he's told that the solution is to go to the prophet in Samaria, he sets off with money to pay top dollar prices. Verse 5, he took with him 10 talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold and 10 sets of clothing. He's not taking 10 sets of clothing in his suitcase because he thinks he might be there a long time. He's taking 10 sets of clothing as a bribe. It's like 10 Armani suits. He is ready to pay. Unfortunately, 
things would be quite a lot simpler if he listened to the instructions. The girl said, just go to the prophet. He thinks, I can do one better than that, I'm important. I'll get my boss, the king of Syria, to write to his boss, the king of Israel. I'll go through top diplomatic channels. And so this letter arrives at the king of Israel's desk saying, here's my top military commander, cure him of his leprosy, please. Yours, the extremely powerful king of Syria. And this causes an absolute crisis. Uh, The king of Israel opens the letter and he tears his clothes. Now, tearing your clothes is is a Bible way of saying, I am very, very upset. Now, I would do it, except um, I got this jacket in the January sales, and it's my favourite jacket, and I care about it too much for the illustration. But imagine if I were to suddenly take this jacket and go, (coughs) and rip it in half. You would be thinking, he is very upset. This king thinks, how can I cure someone of leprosy? Only God can do that. Is he trying to pick a fight? Is it an excuse for a war? Things would be much simpler, wouldn't they, if only Naaman had listened to the instructions and just gone to the true prophet of God, Elisha, the saviour. Now, Elisha's quite an interesting character. His name means God saves. And if you've been here at Christmas and you've been listening to the the readings from uh, Matthew's Gospel about Jesus' birth, you remember what Jesus' name means. Do you remember... um, that they are told, Mary and Joseph are told, you'll call his name Jesus because he'll save his people from their sins. The, the name Jesus means God saves. The name Elisha means God saves. In lots of ways, Elisha is a bit like a preview of Jesus. He's very, very like Jesus. He's got the same name. He does the same stuff. So Elisha feeds a whole crowd of people with just a few bread rolls and multiplies the bread to feed the crowd and collects up leftovers afterwards, just like Jesus does. Um, Elisha um, raises a, a, a woman's son from the dead, just like Jesus does. He, he's like the kind of Jesus preview character. Only the Jesus character can save you. Syrian gods can't save you. The king of Israel can't save you. He just gets very upset and tears his clothes. And finally, Naaman realises this, turns up at the right address, and Elisha sends a message and says to him, it's very simple, verse 10, go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan, and your flesh will be restored, and you'll be cleansed. All you need to be saved is to go and have seven baths in the Jordan. Now, at this point, Naaman gets himself very, very angry. How dare he? Is he saying I smell or something? You know, seven baths? I I maintain the highest personal hygiene. Thank you very much. And if I wanted a bath, I would go for a bath in a Syrian river. Um, Abana and Farpa. Much better than your stinky Israelite river. Now, he is insulted and once again, it's the servants who talk sense into him. Firstly, the little girl, and then his own Syrian servants. They said, look, if he'd asked you to do something really difficult, you'd have done it. If he said, go to Mount Everest and climb it and, and pick the leaf of some extremely rare mountain herb and, um, and, and then go and grind it and mix it up with, go to Australia and find a um, kangaroo skin and mix the two together and drink the potion, you'd have been prepared to do that. And all you've got to do, all you have to do, is go and wash. 
It's funny, isn't it? Sometimes people find the Christian message too easy and that offends them. How can I be saved? Just trust in Jesus and you can be washed clean. And people get annoyed at that. It's too easy. They want to be made to do something difficult, to achieve something themselves. Just have a bath, trust me, and be saved. Well, eventually he does it and he goes and he washes and he is clean. But I want you now to use your best knowledge of Hebrew to read with me verse 14. Let's look at verse 14 closely. So he went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times as the man of God had told him and his flesh was restored and he became clean like that of a Nara cartoon. Now the reason I wanted you to notice that, I, I missed this when I first read it. He becomes like the little girl. When I first read it, I thought it just meant he had smooth skin. You know, like the people say, his skin is as smooth as a baby's bottom. So he used to have leprosy, and now he became like a, an advert for Jordan's baby powder. But actually, it's saying something more than that. His flesh becomes like the flesh of the little girl. He becomes like her. And as we read on, we're going to discover he becomes like her in all kinds of ways. Firstly, he becomes like her because he's got good skin, like she has. But secondly, he becomes like her because he starts trusting in the only true God, like she does. Um, Just look at verse 15. Naaman and all his attendants went back to the man of God. He stood before him and said... Now I know that there is no God in all the world except in Israel. How many ways are there to be saved? Only one. Only through the God of Israel, but the real God. But how many people can be saved through that God? Even me, even a Syrian. He comes to share her faith. But we can go on more than that. He's going to become, when he goes home... He's going to become an exile. Even though Syria is his country of origin, it's where he used to belong, he doesn't belong there anymore. Because now he's come to join God's people, it's going to be like going to a foreign land, going back home. It'll be like he doesn't really fit, even in his own family, even in his own job. He'll be a Christian in a foreign land. And so he asked, verse 17... Can I please take, this is a bit confusing at first, isn't it? Please can I take back um, two mule loads of earth back to Syria? Because from now on, I'm never going to make burnt offerings and sacrifices to any other god except the true god, the Lord. Now, you know sometimes people say that you can be overseas, but um, you long to be back on British soil. Sometimes they use that expression. I want to be back home in, in Britain. I want to be on British soil. Well, he, he's got that kind of idea, but he says, I want to be on Israelite soil, because now I believe in the true God, the God of Israel. Maybe I can fudge it by taking some Israelite soil to Syria and have a little bit of my garden, which is kind of like Israel. And I'll do my sacrifices there, because I don't really belong here anymore. Just like the little girl doesn't really belong there. He becomes an Israelite in exile. And then there's one problem, verse 18. He's got to go to the the Rimmon Temple, because after all, he is the head of the army, 
and the king's going to expect him to be there on state occasions. And he says, basically, when I have to bow down to Rimmon, I don't really mean it and I'm really sorry because I know Rimmon is a fake god. There's only one true god. And actually, it's quite funny because um, the, the actual name of the, the Syrian god was the, was the god Ramanu, and he just changes the pronunciation a bit to make it into Rimmon. And the word Rimmon means pomegranate. So he's sort of saying, when I have to go and bow before the pomegranate, you know, the, the stupid pomegranate, I'm sorry about that. I don't mean it. There's only one true God. It's amazing, isn't it? This little girl, a slave, human trafficked, pipes up to the most, one of the most powerful men in, in the world and says, if only you would humble yourself and go to the Jesus figure, he could save you. And Jesus does save him. His life is turned upside down. He believes in the true God. He goes back to Syria now as a, as a Christian. But there's one other character in the story, and, and this is, um, I'm going to call him the, the faithless Israelite who becomes like the rich Syrian. You see, everyone changes places in this story. Uh, the Syrian, Naaman, becomes like the servant girl. But the Israelite, Gehazi, becomes like the Syrian. By the end of this chapter, he's going to be full of leprosy, just like Naaman was at the beginning of the chapter. They're all swapping over. Uh, why do things go wrong for Gehazi? Well, Gehazi, um, seeing that the prophet made no profit, he decides to cash in. And he chases after um, Naaman and says, my master is too easy on this guy, this Naaman. Did you see those Armani suits in his, uh, in his carriages and all that gold? So he goes up and says, oh, Excuse me, uh, Naaman, I just wonder whether, whether these, these two prophets have just arrived and they haven't got any clothing. I wonder whether I could have two of those rather nice Armani suits. And Naaman says, well, of course. I, you know, I, I couldn't give enough to my new Christian family. You'd be welcome to them. And so off Gehazi goes with the sets of clothing and, and, and goes back home. Unfortunately, Elisha, the prophet, has caught everything on his prophetic CCTV. Well, where have you been, Gehazi? Oh, nowhere in particular. Yeah, lies. I saw you. Wasn't my spirit with you when you went down and ambushed that Syrian? He got down from his chariot. Is it the time to take money or accept clothes or olive groves or vineyards or flocks or herds or maybe more slaves? Naaman's leprosy will cling to you and to your descendants forever. What is it that Gehazi gets so wrong? Is it that he's greedy? Well, he certainly is greedy. That's an ugly thing. Is it because he's a liar? He tries to lie to Elisha about what's happened and lies to Naaman to get the stuff. Well, that's true. He is a liar. I think the essence of it, though, is more than that. I think the problem is he's just robbed somebody who ought to be his brother. Notice what Gehazi says, verse 20. My master was too easy on Naaman, this Aramean. Do you just detect the note of sort of racism in that? He was too easy on this filthy Syrian. But no, this isn't a Syrian, your enemy. This is your new brother. And this chapter tells us that actually God hates that kind of exclusiveness. There is a right kind of exclusiveness. There's only one way to be saved through the true God, through the true Saviour, Elisha. 
the foreshadowing of Jesus, that that's exclusive. But if you kind of got that, that exclusiveness that I would call like a, a kind of spiritual daily mail, if you ever read the daily mail, but the daily mail is always saying, oh, thank goodness we're not like these awful people like them. And it's a sort of look down your noses kind of tone. There's no place for that amongst Christians. Um, Christians should never be homophobic or Islamophobic um, or anti-women or racist. Christians should be the people who want other people to be saved. There's only one way to be saved, but anybody could be saved. Your next-door neighbour who's a gay rights campaigner could be saved if he would come and bow the knee to the king, to King Jesus. Um, your colleague at work who's a Muslim could be saved if she would come and put her faith in Jesus, the only saviour. Um, uh, the, the atheist that you know, who's always got a better argument than you and ties you in knots, could be saved if he would humble himself and come and be washed through the Lord Jesus. And a Christian should want those people to be saved. None of this, oh, that Aramean, that gay person, that Muslim. No, Christians should not speak like that. See, the gospel is wonderfully, inclusively exclusive. How many ways are there to be saved? Only one, only through the true God in Israel. But how many people can be saved through this one God? Anybody. Even Syrians, even Muslims, even atheists. And I think it's only those two things, and we get those two things right, then we're going to be bold for witnessing to North Kensington. Well, you, well the UI, I live in Greenwich, but you are going to be bold in North Kensington. If you think there are lots of ways to be saved, you're not going to bother the person who's got a different way, are you? You're going to think, oh, my... My neighbour's already got their own faith. I don't want to bother them with mine. I mean, she's very happy in following Muhammad. I wouldn't want to trouble her. Or, or he's already got his atheist ideology, his belief system. I wouldn't want to uh, disturb him. No, there is only one way to be saved. Islam is a dead end. Atheism is a dead end. Um, Syrian gods are a dead end. You've got to come to the true God through Jesus. That's going to motivate us. But we're not just exclusive, we're inclusively exclusive. Because we know that Jesus can save anybody. So can I encourage you, as you go out from church today, and you think about this week of mission coming up, to think about this little girl. She is the hero in the story. She wants even her enemies to be saved. She is courageous enough to really put her neck on the line to to pipe up, you need the true God and the true Saviour. And she's got the right answer to those two questions. How many ways are there to be saved? Only one. But who can be saved through that one way? Anybody. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that we would be like this amazing, faithful little girl. Uh, We pray, Lord, that we would have compassion on people we know, even perhaps people we don't like or people who've wronged us. We pray that we would have courage to speak up. And we pray that we would be inclusively exclusive, pointing everyone to the one way by which they can be rescued. For Jesus' sake. Amen.